You're listening to the Next Exec Podcast Series with Executive Women's Forum. joining us for another episode of the Wise Women series. Today, our host is Betsy Hackle. Betsy is a Senior Associate Information Security Assessor at Eli Lilly and Company. In this role, Betsy works with business stakeholders to identify the highest risk third parties working with Lilly and determine the actions necessary to ensure our data and connections are secure. In addition to assessing third parties, Betsy also works on merger, acquisition, and divestiture deals and is in the process of standing up an ongoing monitoring program to continually monitor third-party organizations post-assessment. Our guest today is Meredith Harper. Meredith serves as Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at Eli Lilly & Company. She is responsible for the company's global information security program. Prior to joining Lilly in 2018, Meredith served as Chief Information Privacy and Security Officer at Henry Ford Health System, where she had ultimate responsibility for the protection of Henry Ford's provider, insurance, retail, and research businesses. Outside of work, Meredith serves on several advisory boards in support of empowering women and minorities to embark upon careers in technology, especially in information security. So, Meredith, I kind of just wanted to start out, if you could just give uh, a brief background on kind of what what brought you to being a CISO and kind of your roles in the past. I don't know if I really have a straight answer for that, <laughs> um, because when we think about when I started my career 26, 27 years ago, information security was not a discipline, so therefore not a defined discipline. So from that perspective, I can't say that I looked at my career and said, OK, I know I need to do these roles. I need to have these experiences and eventually I'm going to become a CISO. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't something that we were able to map out. But what I can say in in terms of my roles, I started out as an application developer out of college. I was a coder. I know that coding is great and important, but it just was not for me. <laughs> it's not for um, me and what I found earlier in my career is that I was a little bit different than most technical individuals. Mm-hmm. I kind of operate on both sides of my brain. Um, so I'm analytical as much as I am technical. And so from that perspective, I um, or creative. And so from that perspective, I went into project management really quick because I could translate business problems quite easily. Mm-hmm. And and make sure that the technical teams were talking to the business teams mm-hmm. and really trying to see what the solutions were in the middle. Um, so after doing some form of project management for about 10 years at various companies, mostly on the provider payer side of healthcare, traveling from multiple states, um, working for multiple companies, um, I landed back in my hometown of Detroit, Michigan, and started to work for Henry Ford Health System. But at that time, we had gotten to the point where we made it through Y2K and the world didn't blow up like we thought. <laughs> and I was able to uh, talk to my leader at the time to talk about, like, what is the next big thing? And at that time, the next big thing was HIPAA. So um, he plopped down 1,100 pages of the HIPAA regulations on my desk and said, read these and talk to us about how we can create products and services around this for our customer bases that are now going to be required to um, um, be compliant with HIPAA. So 
that's how I got immersed into the regulatory side of the world mm-hmm. and kind of married with the technical side of the world. Um, and so I went to Henry Ford Health System as their first chief privacy officer, building their privacy program initially for eight years. And then after that, we started to see security and privacy um, start to converge more than, mm-hmm. than what we saw in the past. Um, and I was approached by our CEO to take on the security side of the world. So I was not only the chief privacy officer, but I was also the chief information security mm-hmm. officer, which is fun. I guess. (laughs) Um, But but that's how I kind of married those two. And so for the next eight years, I function in both of those spaces, managing the network engineering team from a security perspective, um, our incident response team, forensics, identity and access management, privacy, IT audit and risk management, all of those groups reported up through me. Mm -hmm. So it was fun building out that program and managing it for 16 years, totally. Um, And then I got a call uh, from our friends at Alta to say, let's Let's have a discussion around this role um, in Indiana. And I was like, I don't want to go to Indiana, but <laughs> but I was, I'm was i so glad and so thankful that I did. I got a chance to have a conversation with Wafa Mamili, who was the previous CISO, and just listening to her and the passion that she had around the work that Lily was doing and also the work that still needed to be done in the security space for Lily's program, um, I took her up on the offer to come and join the team. So that's how I made it here to Lily. Mm-hmm. So I'm new to the pharmaceutical side of healthcare, mm-hmm. new to Indiana, but not new to security or privacy or tech, technology. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this for a long time, but I will hold that I started when I was two. <laughs> so I'm not making any declarations about how old I am. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, we're happy to have you at Lolly. Yes. Um, so kind of what, I guess you were talking about quite a few roles and mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like the HIPAA might have been a defining moment, but what would you say is your most defining role that you did that kind of taught you the most and led you down your path? I I would say it would be the first chief privacy officer role. Um, It's very, it's a very interesting journey when you have to build when nothing exists. Mm -hmm. So to come into an organization, try to look and see and interpret what the regulations say that you have to do. And then how does that translate into an actual business operational program Mm -hmm. that you can drive through the organization? It was a lot of fun doing it. Um, did we do everything perfectly? No. Did we have a lot of fits and starts? Yes. Did we learn a lot about how to drive enterprise programs across an organization? Absolutely. So I think because of the unknown that was happening in that space mm-hmm. and just giving, getting the opportunity to learn throughout that 16 years, it, it, I can say that that probably is where my career started to shift and pivot um, from a leadership perspective because mm-hmm. my, my um, scope was starting to expand in terms of what I was responsible for for an organization. Organization. And then bringing in the whole patient component of it all, um, I have decided and understand about myself is that I could have probably moved to any other industry and made tons of money um, doing the work that we've done over the years. But the patient connection is something that most of us who have chosen healthcare as our right. as our vertical, um, I have to have some level of connection to a patient mm-hmm. where I'm helping someone, even if I'm not touching them every day. The work that we do in our space enables those professionals to do the great work that they do. So I have have to have that as a part of my my makeup of any role that I'm in. But I would say it would be that role yeah. is where things started to shift and change for me. Yeah, I would say, because um, I know I was in public accounting before coming here, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. something I really struggled with was not feeling a purpose or yes. a drive behind what I was doing. I know yes. I love security, but in the area I was in, it was just yes. kind of tying and ticking boxes, and Absolutely. I couldn't see the end result. And so that was a big jump for me over to Lily mm-hmm. and our current companies, because I always 
<clears throat> and everything we're doing, I feel like I can directly tie it back to why am I securing this information? How is what I'm doing going to directly um, affect these patients that are taking XYZ drug that we're manufacturing and keeping those molecules and proprietary information secure so that we can develop it into sure. these drugs? And I think that like you said, is a big driving force of keeping me in this healthcare industry. Yeah. I think the other part is about that defining role is that was the first time at 32 mm-hmm. I became a vice president. So, and there's there's no, I can say this, we all have these trajectories in our career, yeah. but there is no training camp that you go to <laughs> the moment that you move into one of these senior yeah. leadership roles. So imagine, um, again, doing things in the industry that hadn't been done before, mm-hmm. 32 years old, responsible for all these individuals. <laughs> Um, a major mandate from an organization yeah. and you're trying to figure out how do you become the best leader you possibly mm-hmm. can become at 32. Right. So so I think that that also was a defining experience for me because that's when I learned that it takes a village. We always talk about that when oh. it comes to raising kids, but I think it takes a village to raise leaders mm-hmm. as well. And so that's when I started to create my board of directors, if you will, of who would be the individuals that will help and walk with me throughout my career mm-hmm. and help me with the decisions that I have to make and um, challenge me when I'm doing something within my organization um, and really just push me to be the best that I can be. And I think that's when I realized I needed that too. So that was also defining. I can't do this by myself. Right. Yeah. And I think... So that is interesting to me because you said 32 mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, I'm 27. Like that's not too far <laughs> off. Could I, could I get there? Yes. And, um, I think your board of directors analogy is pretty cool. I haven't mm-hmm. really heard that. So how did you, how did that come up or how did you start to figure out who those key people were and sure. kind of what was that relationship like? Sure. So I was telling someone this story yesterday, actually, we were having a discussion around the board of directors and mm-hmm. one of the things that I know noticed when I first got to Henry Ford Health System is that um, even though I had been um, uh, seasoned within healthcare itself, I didn't know Henry Ford. I needed to Mm -hmm. learn the environment. I needed to learn the politics. I needed to learn how this organization operated. And so one of the things that I did is I started to look for names that I would see over and over Mm -hmm. again. And so we had a paper newsletter back then. It's no longer paper, (laughs) but it's a paper newsletter that we would get every Monday. It was called the Monday Monitor. Mm -hmm. And I would read it and I would try to see whose name was I seeing come up over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. whether they were working on strategic initiatives or they were someone leading a specific effort. Um, We went after a few um, organizational awards. They were the one driving all of that submission. And I said, after a while, I started to see the same name come up over and over again, Sue Hawkins. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, who is this Sue Hawkins? Apparently she's figured out something (laughs) because her name is showing up all throughout this newsletter. So I set up a meeting with her. I didn't know. I was probably at Henry Ford for two weeks, two or three weeks when I did this. Um, And so I didn't really know her at all. And I set up a meeting and I said, I just need 30 minutes of your time. I want to introduce myself. I did that. And while we're in the discussion, I I basically was really honest with her. And I said, I'm new to the organization, trying to understand the makeup of this this big organization and really how I can be successful here as a new leader. Um, And I see your name everywhere. So can you (laughs) teach me whatever it is you know? Yeah, what is the secret to, to not only connecting myself in mm-hmm. to the leadership structure here, but just, again, some of the things that are not as um, not always written. Right. How do I navigate this organization? And luckily, she took me up on the offer. She's still a great mentor to this day. Um, but she 
is uh, like the senior vice president of something. I mean, I yeah. don't know what she's working on right now, but I know that she's really up there. But but she really took me up on that offer and started to help me understand how I can integrate myself into all the different um, opportunities that were at Henry Ford. So mm-hmm. I'm saying all that to say it, it took a little bit of courage for me to be able to do that because mm-hmm. she easily could have said, sorry, no, I'm not going to help you with that. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that's not what she, Yeah, that's not what she did. But I had to kind of step out there uh, mm-hmm. understanding that I needed assistance. Um, I think I am one of those folks that I realize very quickly when I have the skill set for something and when I don't, mm-hmm. I find the people who do. And I think that's also what's um, allowed me to be successful as a leader. It's not always about you knowing everything, right. but it's about you putting the right people around you and on your team that know or are the experts in certain mm-hmm. spaces. And so because I know how to do that uh, and can figure it out quite quickly, I was able to get Sue on my team. And so as time went on, others started to ask um, whether it was the Randy Walker, who was my male mentor. Mm-hmm. He's probably the most blunt person I ever <laughs> know, have ever known, but he has really created a, an environment for us to be transparent and open with each other um, in a way where he helps me to negotiate. Um, mm-hmm. He always tells me, I hate the way that you negotiate. You negotiate like a girl. And I'm like, I am a girl. Um, but, but some of the things that he's taught me as a, a male leader, um, I've tried to inc- incorporate that into my negotiating skills as mm-hmm. I continue to move forward in my career. Um, just the boldness and the fearlessness that comes along with the way that men sometimes right. negotiate. We don't always do that as women. Mm-hmm. And so um, he's helped me kind of get over that. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Mary Alice Anna Carico, who was my CIO for a long time at Henry Ford, um, who was on my board of directors to this day. Uh, who was responsible for me being comfortable with leaving Henry Ford and coming to Lilly. She coached me through that whole Mm -hmm. thing. And she's been such an amazing leader because she's the first female leader I had ever had in my career. So I was 20 years in or so before I reported to a woman. So the things that she taught me um, in terms of how women lead at that level has been invaluable. Mm -hmm. And I still leverage her to this day. Um, So I have a team of folks. Uh, It's about 14 people. (laughs) But they all serve serve different purposes. And I know who to connect with depending on the situation that I'm struggling with or the thing that Mm -hmm. I need their help or advice on. Um, And I leverage them to this day. So they've been very helpful to me. What would you say... Because I know I struggle with this and I have a lot of conversations with my dad about it. And Mm -hmm. he was asking me one day, who are your mentors and your sponsors? And Mm -hmm. I was kind of going through the list. He goes, that's great that you have a lot of women on there. He's Mm -hmm. like, do you have any male sponsors? And I kind of had to take a step back and be like, no, I don't. And I was like, maybe I should to get a different perspective. I was like, sometimes, as unfortunate as they might be the good catalyst to to get you somewhere or they could teach you things that maybe we aren't seeing yeah well for me because our my career has been what it's been in technology Mm -hmm. mostly it was male dominated so there was no way for me to actually build a female Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, list of board of directors I had to have males because that's all that was available to me at the time and so um and so Sue Hawkins was not my first board Mm -hmm. of director I mean but I had others that have helped me along the way and they've all been men so I think your dad has a good point. I think that you have to diversify in that. So I create 
not only diversification as it relates to uh, gender, Mm -hmm. I have diversification on my board as it relates to race, Mm -hmm. as it relates to the time someone has been in their career, um, as it relates to whether they're in security or not, or technology or not, because sometimes I don't want a technology leader advising me on something that's business and operational. So I might have someone who can fill that role for Mm -hmm. me. So I think that you have to, just like you diversify your teams, Mm -hmm. you have to diversify your board of directors that'll be counseling you throughout the, the course of your career. And then the sponsorship and advocacy is one thing that I think that we also don't teach each other how to do well. Right. Um, mentors are great and wonderful. Um, coaches are great and wonderful. But advocates and sponsors are the ones who actually represent you in spaces that you don't even have mm-hmm. access to. So I think that you have to have all of those on your board in some shape, form, or fashion. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it's important for you to have even diversity there. Mm-hmm. Because you won't be in every space. Right. And so who carries Betsy's message? I know. When, you know, you're not in that space. Yeah. So that's something I've been trying to work on Mm -hmm. recently is having those conversations and seeing, yes, I'd like it to go organically, but sometimes you have to do it non-organically and just ask. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to yourself at the onset of your career? So if you were like me in the first five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Not be afraid to fail. I think that um, sometimes as women in corporate America, we tend to have this perfectionist idea that we have to do everything 100% better than everyone else. We have to be way over the top with everything else. Um, And that creates a level of stress for us that is just unnecessary. We're creating our own problem, right? Um, That doesn't mean I'm I'm not saying that you shouldn't strive for excellence. Of course, we should strive to be excellent in everything that we do. But there are going to be times when you're going to take a risk. And that risk may result in you failing. I have no problems with my teams, um, people who report to me to taking calculated risks because that happens in, mm-hmm. in the course of business. What I don't like is when you don't think through what the risk outcome could possibly be and you continue to make the same mistake over and over mm-hmm. again. That's something totally different. <laughs> so I think what I would have told myself is not put so much pressure on myself to be 100% you know, over the top, like everything has to be 100% perfect before mm-hmm. I release it or 100% perfect before I tell somebody about it or 100% perfect perfect before I get comfortable with the idea. Um, sometimes having those imperfect cycles in between gives you the ability to engage with people that can mm-hmm. kind of help you move through those cycles. But because we're so busy of trying to make it perfect before I say something, right. um, I don't take, I don't get the benefit of that actually being offered to me during that cycle. So I probably would have taken a little bit more risk back mm-hmm. then um, than, I, than I did at that age. And, um, and I think the other part is just the advocacy. I, I didn't learn to to be advocates for others who look like me until Mm -hmm. I was probably in my mid-30s. And I had opportunities probably prior to that Mm -hmm. to be an advocate for folks who look like me. Um, But again, it's back to the whole, how is this going to impact me? You know, am I high enough in the organization to actually even challenge this Mm -hmm. or whatever the case is? And I think that if I, I knew then what I knew now, I probably would have push myself to be more of an advocate for women in this space, for minorities in this Mm -hmm. space, um, more so than I did when I was in my 20s. I didn't do it as much in my 20s, but probably by mid-30, I was pretty comfortable with it. And now I just, it is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) He'll tell how it is. Yeah. Um, So what are some fun things about Meredith Harper that you would like everyone to know? 
Um, I am, we were just talking about this out in the hallway, actually, right before <laughs> this. Um, everyone has their thing, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone has their thing that they love to do and that, that they're really passionate about. Mine is shoes and purses. And I hate to say <laughs> it, but but I love to, yes, <laughs> I love to shop and I love a good shoe and yep. I love a great purse. And, um, and I will, you know, have on a dress from Target, this $19, but yeah. I will have a very nice purse yeah. <laughs> and very nice shoes. So I do love to shop. So mm-hmm. so I love to do that. Um, I also, the fun things about me is that I am pretty funny. I mean, people probably don't agree. always see that. I am pretty <laughs> funny. I don't take myself way too seriously. Um, I love to have fun at work. And this is the thing. We probably spend more time with our team members than we spend with our own families mm-hmm. throughout the week. Um, the work that we do can be hard. It can be stressful. It can be unpredictable. Yep. We never really know when things are going to happen because hackers are not on a schedule. Right. Um, So we have to have fun with this. And so however we can infuse fun into things, I'm always going to be an advocate for that, which Mm -hmm. people sometimes don't get about me. (laughs) Um, But I think what what happens when you walk in the room and you're a vice president and you're a CISO or you have, you know, a role that is kind of elevated, people don't expect for you to be the fun person. People don't expect for you to be the jokester. They expect you to be really straight laced. And and that's so not my personality. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is something that's kind of interesting and fun about me um, that I love to have fun with my teams and I love to do really great work with my team so I think that we can do both Um, fun facts um, my husband and I love to travel so that's always something that's great Uh, we collect uh, magnets from every place that we've traveled Uh, so I have a big board magnetic board in my house and so I have how many magnets are on that uh, about 200 at this point so it's so every place we go we pick up a magnet and so it's been a a great tradition for us to have Mm -hmm. to be able to do that so that's been fun and um, and just you know sometimes just resting. Yeah, I hate to say <laughs> always it. need it, but it's always good. Like that's a fun thing that I really do like to rest. I'm not always on the go, and mm-hmm. which is also something that people don't realize about me. They think that I'm always having to do something. Yeah, and work sometimes can put you in that mode. But really, sometimes I just like to hang out at the house and hang out with the husband. Do nothing. And, yeah, do nothing. Yeah. Watch TV, binge mm-hmm. watch um, all the stuff that's on TV that I've taped all week that I haven't been able to see. <laughs> It's fun stuff. I love it. So I also remember you once upon a time told Mm -hmm. us you were a recording artist. Yes. Yes. I did that for years. I haven't done it lately, um, but for about 25 years or so. I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah. So about 25 years or so, I was a background singer for various gospel um, Christian artists Mm -hmm. and um, have been recorded before with some choirs and things like that. So I did that for a long time. But by the time I got closer to my 40s, it was kind of hard to keep that schedule up. Right. Because you can imagine being in the studio is mm-hmm. not something that, you know, you're not in there for 10 minutes. I mean, right. we're in the studio, it's we're there Hours, all day. Yeah. And, you know, so just trying to keep that schedule up. But I do still love to sing. Um, mm-hmm. I do my best performances in the shower and um, <laughs> great acoustics in there. Yes. So you can really go to town. Or if I'm driving in my car, headed back to Detroit, I have four hours. It's a four mm-hmm. hour concert. It's amazing. <laughs> um, people should get tickets. So, um, so yeah, so I still do that. And that, that's still fun. It's, it's a release for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a concert one day at Lily. Maybe one day. I say we need to have IS karaoke. I yes. keep saying that. So I, think I, would, that would, participate. I would participate in <laughs> IS karaoke. I think you would win, <laughs> hands down. Well, I just wanted to say thank you for thank um, you. sharing all of your wisdom and your stories with us today. Thank we you. really appreciate it, and we know you're going to continue to do great things. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate yeah. the time today.